In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome back to Fireside, guys. What's up? So I made that uh, firm resolution not to swing in the chair as I was saying the angelic salutation, which a lot of people were kind of upset about that. So I apologize. It's just when I get the swivelly chair here, it's, it's very hard for me not to uh, subconsciously rock myself on it. So um, tonight, uh, praise God, uh, we have Jason Everett. Um, he's someone I heard... I think it was after my conversion, so I wouldn't have been really looking for these videos before, but I do remember after my conversion, it was uh, a very uh, attractive and kind of like easy language to understand um, him talking about relationships, um, pornography, impurity, lo lots of stuff that you just, I don't know, it'd be hard to kind of engage or listen to. You know, you're always used to people just talking about how like eh, scary and icky sexes and you know like how it's just dangerous you can get a bunch of diseases and you just you listen to that stuff and you kind of just like turn off and be like yeah okay but you know it's just like drugs don't ever do drugs because they're dangerous it's like yeah that's kind of like part of the reason why i'm doing them you know it's like it's part of the the rush so it's just like as far as the youth goes i couldn't really relate to a lot of things but i do remember i liked the approach um yeah, funny enough jason one of the guys actually in the community here in ireland he just told us today uh he was at one of your first chastity talks actually in his uh his his school was it seton school was it seton school in virginia i'm not sure but he said that he remembers when you were first fresh like you know doing these things for the first time so i just thought that was kind of like funny because i think you have gone a ways basically doing it but it's a beautiful um apostolate and work and uh so first and foremost like we're definitely praying for your ministry and your family um funny enough you were supposed to have been here in ireland with us at uh, UCD, which they called it the uh, the Insight 2020 Festival. Just a, a claimer out there. That's that's not what it was. It wasn't the Insight Festival. It was Ignite. So it was just a initiative that Catholic college students got together to ignite the flame of faith in other young people's hearts. And then this uh, this chastity speaker was gonna come to Insight. You know, like like all these kind of like I don't know, chastity plans and you know homophobic ideas. So basically. We didn't have you um, there, but I think it did do good to your um, to your whole you know project and everything. It just it looked like things started to kind of like boom, just people looking for curiosity in your name. So praise God, He takes good out of bad. But um, so yeah, just um, thank you once again. But um, how you doing tonight? Like you're doing good. Like it's for me, this is great. It's great to have you. So just yeah, thanks for for coming on. Yeah, well, thank you for having me on the show. I'm happy to be there in Ireland, one way or another. So if uh doesn't work out to be in person. Well, hey, we can we can do podcasts and Skype. Yeah, this is great. So you're father of, of eight kids. Um, that's that, that's not a numerous family here. That's like a a massive family. I don't know if they even have a word for that, but like eight children is here. Like I think a numerous family would be considered four. It would be like oh my gosh, four kids, but like eight. So praise God. Um, by the way, no worries if 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 they do come in or if there are like disturb disturbances. I think it's more authentic. You know, it makes it more real. So don't worry about that. Like if that does happen. But um, so you're you're basically this is your thing. Like you dedicate um, your life to talking about the power of of chastity. No, is it the chastity project? Chastity.com. Yeah. So for the past twenty two years, been able to travel to 
six continents that speak to about two million young people about just God's plan for human love and just just the good news of chastity. Like this is just not a litany of prohibitions and guilt trips and scare tactics and statistics like that just doesn't even motivate, at least me, to pursue anything good. I mean, you think of any virtues you have, you don't have any of them because you're afraid of what's going to happen if you don't pursue that. You know, we need a more attractive presentation of, you know, the gospel when it comes to human sexuality. And I think chastity really offers us that. Uh, but people understandably approach it with a bit of suspicion because all they've seen before, like, as you said, is like, you're going to get pregnant and die of an STD and go to hell. And, you know, OK, well, whatever, you know, it, it, that, that stuff's not going to last if that's what you're trying to sell somebody on there's really nothing appealing about that. And so we try to take a very different approach. That's awesome, man. We're going to put that in the uh, the description below as well. There's going to be a a link to to your channels as well and the uh, the books, the slew of books that you have there too, which are really great. And I like, um, I remember hearing you say once that like at the end of the talks and stuff, you put like the books in the back of the room and, you know, they're there for like people to, to take free because of like all the donors that like donate for the cause. So like also if there's anybody listening, you know, and it gets generous or they have that make a donation. Um, we can put that also in the description, like how they could help that project out because it is giving like good material to young people to like get out of problems. Um, I have a quote, you know, it's not a quote. It's like an email. I'm just going to read a quick introduction here about the email. I'm not gonna read the whole thing. It's from a young guy here. He's, um, in TY. So that's their transition year. That would be, uh, you're talking like 15, 16 years old. And um, he wrote this to me. This was a couple months ago. So the lockdown was pretty, it was hard. Um, and it was basically like him and his buddies getting together saying like, guys, what what are we doing here? Because apparently this was, I heard this a couple months ago, but like the two most searched things um, were prayer and porn. So it was kind of like, you know, the cry that was going on in these, in all these people that had been locked down. It was like prayer, you know, like, what's that? Like, I need that. And then the obvious one, porn, especially in a lot of places they've been getting like, you know, premier memberships to these, these websites. So that's going to be the topic today. We're going to be getting into that, like porn, like you have a, a basically a plethora of like things which you focus on. Another good thing that you do is relationships, by the way, which I love the way you talk about that. That's really attractive. But, um, today we're going to talk about that with porn. So I think I'll just kick it off real quick. Um, I'm just going to read this, a bit of this email, and then we can obviously, oh, hold on one second. He's my, the technical guy saying there's a, there's a glitch. It must be, the, we're, by the way, we're like in this, this, what would be considered in the States a hurricane. So there's just like this, oh. <laughs> I mean, it's a normal storm. Anyways, so we're back on, uh, I don't know where they stopped on the email, but uh, I'll just go back from, so we started discussing the positives and negatives, um, not in spiritual terms just in normal terms, like from a lad's perspective. Obviously, the positives were pleasure, feeling nice, comfort, and stress relief. Then we spoke on negatives and discovered there's way more negatives than positives. Negatives. Energy sapping makes you tired like. By the way, they put like at the end of phrases. It's just typical like Irish, right? Reduces productivity. Makes our minds fixed on porn all day. Messes with our head makes our brains sexualize any woman dressed lightly, degrades women, poisons our minds, and many more. So we thought, okay, anyways, we have to stop this. So we just started doing fasting from fapping, seeing how long we can go without doing it. Like, My longest streak was like six weeks, which is yet to be broken. Explanation point. 
But yeah, doing that, like seeing how long we could last. Then when we realized the majority of us were failing every day, we said, okay, if you fail, you got to do a forfeit. So it's basically you have to pay, you know, like some kind of price. We discussed options, dead arms, getting hopped by everyone in the group, give money, cold showers, one hour less screen time and more. So we started doing that and we noticed a difference. And then he goes on and on. And it's it's actually very humorous. I thought I thought it was, you know, from this guy, he wouldn't like, I don't know, like from a religious point of view, he said he wasn't really, he wasn't really going from there. It's just basically what him and the boys, you know, came to the conclusions. And then he puts like these five, the, a five step process of, you know, like how to, how to beat the habit. But anyways, that kind of like a context, I was just going to give it over to you, Jason. And, uh, you could talk about, you could talk about porn and then whatever else you get inspired to talk about. Yeah, no, I, I love it. I mean, I just want to commend that guy because there's such, you know, when you're around other guys, it's so easy to kind of just slide into the bad junk that they're doing, the bad conversations, sharing the bad pictures. And, and there's a lot of just really good guys out there that are just don't quite have the backbone yet to like say, Hey, let's do something noble and heroic and good and virtuous. But in all of their hearts, there's that desire for that, you know, to, to be a godly man, to be a man of self mastery and control and honor and discipline and virtue. Like guys want to be that, but when we're living in this pornified culture, you just see them, hey, boys are going to be boys. And so just the fact that these guys could band together and realize like this thing that we're dipping into is not satisfying us. It's, it's leaving us hungry. It's leaving us thirsty. It's leaving us empty and just sapped of our energy and vitality. And, and you know, one of the things I was talking to a priest a few weeks ago on our podcast, and he said one of the things that porn does to a guy is it just makes him unavailable, not in the terms of like, well, he's dating somebody. It makes him unavailable. Like he's not even present when you're in the room with him, like his brain is just elsewhere and he's not fully there in conversations. He's not really into service. He's not into really doing anything productive with his life. His vitality is just sapped from him. And I think the guys were just in this group were just dried up and just tired of it, of just going back to this being mastered by their passions instead of actually mastering their passions. Like today's reading the gospel, like that sin is like a demon lurking at the door, you know, but if you want, you can be his master. And so I think these guys finally realized, okay, guys, we, if this thing's got that much control over us, we got to band together and do something better. And so what comes to mind is I was reading a guy recently who was trying to break free from porn and all that junk, and he had been doing some real bad stuff, cheating on his wife, going to strip clubs, and he opened up to a Christian friend and just laid it all out there. Look what I've been doing. And this guy was a godly man who he entrusted this information to, and the guy said to him, well, look, if what you really want to do is look at porn and masturbate, then go ahead and do it. And he was a bit shocked, and he's like, he knew the guy was a godly man. Why would he give him that advice? And he said, what? He said, no, no, if what you really want to do is just look at porn and masturbate, then just go ahead and do it. And his friend was like just confused. He just pounded the desk, and he said, look, it's not what I want to do. And his friend said, exactly. And it was so good for this guy to realize there's a desire deep in me, maybe just layers deeper than my lust for this desire for something authentic and sacrificial and loving. And it was just so affirming in him to know there's goodness in him because the porn, the affairs and all that, it just lead him to think that he's nothing but filth. But underneath all those cravings was an authentic unmet desire. Uh, you know, that just wasn't getting met with these counterfeits. 
And so no matter how long we've been messing up with porn, because I messed up with that stuff back in grade school, I started seeing it. And then in high school, and I didn't break free till the end of high school. But just so many hours and days and years of our life lost lusting instead of making a gift of ourselves and love. So I just want to give a big thumbs up to those guys battling for this because it's so worth it in the end. Uh, because if you don't win this battle, you're not free to love because you can't give what you don't possess. And if they don't have self-mastery, they can't make a gift of themselves and they miss the point of their whole existence. Yeah, praise God. It's the, uh, I like what you said, it's kind of like a power. Um, it reminds me of that that lizard scene. I don't know, in The Great Divorce, are you familiar with that scene in C.S. Lewis's book? Where yeah. He's just like this creepy, sleazy guy. It's just like the image of, you know, like you said, like someone can be there, but they're just like, like a shadow kind of almost. And then like after a big battle with the angel going back and forth, he lets the angel grab it and break its back and throws the lizard on the ground. And then the lizard turns into the stallion. He turns into a strong guy and they kind of get up and, and ride off. But it's just like the image of like, you know, it's not like we're suppressing these feelings or we're not like repressing. It's, it's a power that God uses and channels and he turns you into like, you know, a passionate, powerful man through chastity. Yeah. And you can understand why the devil would be so desperate to effeminize men into that little slithery lizard, because once they're transformed into what God's calling them to be, I mean, how much damage these guys can do to the whole kingdom of darkness if they just become who's God calling them to be. I mean, he's desperate to keep them soft. You know, he's desperate to keep these guys wallowing in self-pity of, oh, my life is so hard and I'm entitled to porn and I need that as a pick-me-up because I'm stressed out and I'm lonely and I'm bored and I'm all this stuff. And it just makes a man soft. Uh, because, you know, during those moments of desolation we all have, we want consolation. We, we deserve consolation, but it's, okay, well, what am I going for? Am I going through real consolation, prayer and fellowship and exercise and all that stuff? Or am I dipping into the false consolations that are just going to leave me feeling more empty than I was before? And during those times, I think of desolation, the temptation really seems a lot stronger than it actually is. It's almost like during Lent, you know, on a Friday— you know, you drive by a fast food restaurant and you smell the meat, you know, because you haven't eaten meat in like 12 hours. And you're like, ah, it smells really good. And it's like not. No, that's like that's like dog food in there. Like that's not what you really want. But just because of this this presence of absence, anything feels like it's going to be more satisfying. And so I think what we need to do is look at those deeper aches, like what's what's really those unmet needs in your life. I heard it once said that the opposite of sobriety or the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. It's human connection. And there's so much wisdom in that. It's not about just going cold turkey and white knuckle in it. It's about really getting connected. Because when you think about, uh, you know, what's getting searched for on the internet now is porn and prayer. Both are cries for intimacy. Both are cries of the human soul for connection and to be looked at and to look upon another. Um, but it's like, oh, we're going to choose the true consolation or the or the false one, you know. And therein lies the difference, whether it become virtuous or full of vice. What would you say, like, because he said in there, like, his world record there uh, amongst those guys was six weeks. I remember thinking, like, honestly, um, before my conversion and everything, this would be about, like, 12 years ago. This wasn't, this isn't even impossible, you know? It's, like, a nice language, and you always heard it, like, man, because, I mean, a lot of guys who are into this, like, at their higher hearts, it's like that other guy's like, I don't want this, and they feel like crap, they feel scummy. Um, you know, they got the odd guy out there that like brags about and has his collection or whatever. It, like, but you know, the majority is kind of like something that's there. That's kind of 
shameful, but um, almost even like like I always thought it was even impossible not to do because like you'd hear that it's like unhealthy. It's like you need this, and it's like so. I mean, thanks be to God, like the life of grace. Obviously, you know, I've been twelve years like living as a, a celibate, you know, religious, and it is like you see it differently. But what would you say to like the lads now, like that are listening to this, and they're kind of like, man, like six weeks maybe that would be a world record, but like besides that, this isn't possible. Like this is just too much. It's too hard. Yeah. Well, one thing I'd say is avoid the mistake of thinking that you even have six more weeks left in your life. I mean, we don't know if we have six hours left. And I think the devil always wants us to get living in the past or the future. Um, like, oh, well, you did this last month and you've been addicted for two years. Just getting you focused on the past or thinking of the future. Like, wait a minute. This means I need to be abstinent for like the next eight years of my life. Oh, that's impossible. When God's, God's not in the future, he's not in the past. Like he's in the present moment. And can you live between now and the time you go to bed is God's calling you to do like, can you handle those couple of hours? Like, can you just give that little chunk of your life to God? And if you can handle it in the present moment, tomorrow will take care of itself. You know, like the gospel say sufficient for a day is its own evil. And so don't get worked up into tomorrow and setting unreachable goals for yourself. Set a goal, you know, you can make, well, look, I, I know I can go two days without it. Okay, fine. That's your goal. And then you get through two days and it's like, okay, I'm gonna make four days and oh, I messed up. Okay, let's try this again. Three days, man. And you get up. Oh, it was three this week. I made it five next week and oh, I, I fell back. Oh, come on. Like it's the, you win the Christian life by just not giving up. You're just a winner if you don't give up. And so it's not how many times you fall, how many times you get up. And before you know it, it's like, hey, I didn't think I'd be capable of eight days, but now here we are at 16. And, and eventually comes the point where it's like falling back doesn't feel like an option anymore. It's like, man, I've made it this long. I don't wanna break my streak. And I think it's kind of like two magnets when they're really close together, it's hard to get them apart, but the further apart they are, just the tug loses a bit of its strength. And it's the same thing with alcoholism or sexual addiction. It's those first few moments away from that first few days or weeks or month that it just seems so hard. And that's why the devil wants to get you to despair as early as possible. Because if he can just get you to give up hope, he wins the whole thing. And so don't let go of hope. Take it one day at a time. Because God promises that he will complete the good work he began in you. This is his work in you. And he doesn't just see the failures. Oh, you messed up again, messed up again. He sees the victories. Like you have victories, whether you realize it or not. Yeah, you stopped lusting after that girl. And, and you didn't look at that picture on the internet. And you quit this. And there are victories. And he's not just waiting at the finish line for you to, you know, finish your life. And oh, well done. He's with you in the battle and in the trenches and he's counting not just the failures, he's counting the victories and he's cheering you on. And so realize there's more in this than yesterday and tomorrow. Just remain in the present moment and don't lose your peace. In fact, uh, Father Jacques Philippe says like one of the most important parts of spiritual combat when it comes to overcoming temptation is to not lose your peace. Because if you start getting overly despondent about the fact that you messed up, it's kind of a sign of pride in the sense that like, oh, I'm so astonished that I'm not a saint. I'm not canonized yet. Don't be astonished. You're weak. And sometimes God needs us to re realize our own humanity so that we can acknowledge our dependence upon him fully in order to be successful in this battle. I like that magnet. Uh, that's like these things also I'm going to be just taking note of too. It's like to use because that's a, I think that's a very good example. Like it's just in the beginning, it's almost impossible. And you think it's just not ever going to happen. 
But as time goes on, what you looked at as really impossible, like over the years, you just, it's not even that big of a deal. Like other temptations come and become, you know, strong and stuff, but like maybe something that was really hard for you has just lost its weakness. Yeah. You compared it also, or you mentioned like alcohol and drugs. Like, would you say that pornography is like the same as like a drug or like to your probably more addicting. I mean, right. Cause I mean, you're, you're dealing with the same, same neurochemical cocktails in the brain of uh, norepinephrine and dopamine and serotonin and all, all the stuff that when like a heroin or cocaine addict is taking a hit, it's the same parts of the brains that are ex experiencing the stimulation. And that's why a lot of times people need to get more grotesque and more perverted and more extreme and more variety of porn in order to achieve the same stimulus that they had gotten years ago by just simple softcore porn. And so the thermostat is getting constantly reset and you're having to crank up the levels and the extent of porn in order just even feel remotely aroused. In fact, I remember reading, um, or, or I, I talked to one guy after high school assembly and he said, Jason, it's real bad for me. He said, I go home from school on the weekends and I watch 12 hours of porn on Saturday. And then I go to bed and I watch 12 more hours of porn on Sunday. He said, I don't even enjoy it. It kind of just disgusts me, but I don't even know how to live without it. And so I think it was C.S. Lewis talking about it being like the, the law of diminishing reward that when it comes to lust, it's an ever greater desire or craving with an ever diminishing reward. And so early on, the craving is there, but it's not great. But the reward seems like, oh, wow, you know, I just looked at that site and it was so exciting. But as the years go on, the craving gets more intense. But so to speak, the reward just gets less and less and less until you become a slave. I remember reading a, some type of Jewish proverb in this book, and it was talking about this parable of some bird who would sell one of his feathers one at a time to get something that he wanted. And with each time he'd give away one feather, he'd figure out, well, I can still fly. So like I can afford to lose that one. And I can, I can give one more away because I, I can still fly. I'm still free. I'm free to give this stuff away. I got plenty to go. And before you know it, he's plucked thin. And when he actually needs to fly, he can't. And so he's not free. He's just grounded. And in the same respect, this same principle happens in lust where we keep telling ourselves how free we are to do this. And then we can't even say no to it anymore. And a woman comes into our life and we want to love her rightly, but all we know how to do is relate to her as some object for our gratification. And so we need to retrain our brains and our self-mastery so that we can be free to love these women rightly instead of expecting that marriage is going to somehow be the fulfillment of porn when in reality porn is really the distortion of human love. Um, yeah, I actually want to make a maybe a parenthesis there because I want to go back to that. Uh, uh, guys bringing porn into marriage i think that's very important that we we get into that but i wanted to just before we get into that um something struck me there so like someone's listening to this right and uh that principle of like you know how it, the gratification is less and the cravings are fiercer it's like that there is nothing really worse than that i mean 12 hours i've never that's that's for me the record there 12 on saturday 12 on sunday i've heard bad stuff but like yeah. that would be like for me a, a huge massive binge but like, so I'm just listening, you know, I'm listening to this and I'm, I'm trying to put myself in someone's shoes that they're listening to this as well. And they're saying, look, I've tried everything. Um, I understand everything you're saying. I experience it in like my life. Uh, it, pornography is too addictive to, to break with. It's too, it's too strong of a drug. And at this stage of the game, 
it's in my pocket. Like, you know, I mean, you're 40, 46, are you? 40, 45. 45, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I'm 35. So, like, we're growing up, like, I mean, I, I know in your testimony you talked about, like, you know, magazines, right? And then, like, my generation, when it was first coming out, you had, like, the massive monitor on the desk, you know, it's just, like, and usually in a public place. It's just awkward. Like, it's, 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 like, loading, you know, taking forever, too. So it's kind of like, gosh, you know, if you're going to do it, it's going to be, like, really weird. But now the phone, you know, it's in your pocket whenever you want. I'm just thinking some guys are hearing this and they're just saying, Jason, like, I can't break this this addiction. This is impossible. Like, what would you say to those guys listening now? Yeah, well, you could. You could break it if you want to do it. And, and, and proof would be, like, imagine you know, you're on your screen or whatever, let's say you're at school on library, you know, and no one's around and you start getting on your phone and scrolling around and who comes what you can see out of the corner of your eye, this girl that you've had this crush on or whatever for months is about to walk right by you. And you're sitting here watching porn on your phone. Like, do you, you at that moment be like, I, I can't stop looking at the porn. I, uh, I need to keep looking. No, bam, you're off that screen. Oh, look, I'm studying to get ready to go to Harvard and Oxford next fall. Like, man, in an instant, you'd be able to shut that down. Because in order to overcome a desire, you need a greater desire. And so we want to be seen as manly by what is beautiful. And when a woman sees a guy who's having some erotic moment with his cell phone or his laptop, it's like, ooh, what a creep. I don't want to date some guy like one girl emailed me today and she said she's getting so frustrated because she says even the good Catholic guys I'm meeting, most of them are just hooked on porn or I'm trying to get over it, but they've just been looking at it for 10 years. And one of these guys asked her out, went on a couple dates and she brought it up. Like, where are you at with this whole porn thing? And he said that, you know, he still looks at it, he's trying to stop. But, but she said, look, don't ask me to commit to you if you can't even be faithful to me. And you just can't do it, she said. And he couldn't argue with that. It's like, what business do I have asking a woman to commit to me when I'm incapable of fidelity? I mean, that's not some like, you know, frosting on the top of the cake. Like that's the foundation of trust in a relationship. And so if you saw that girl coming out of the corner yard, you'd shut that thing down immediately. So you got the control. Like your body will do exactly what you tell it to do. It's like if you were at some girl's house going too far and her dad knocked on the door, you wouldn't be like, oh, I can't control myself. You just jump out the window. Like you'd be gone like that. Like your body will obey you. And so the question isn't the capacity. The question is the motivation. Like, why am I not motivated? Why is it that I find that porn is so much alluring than just nothing in its absence? You know, what, what, what's going to give me that desire when the girl's not walking around? Well, one of the things that I found to be helpful, I was reading a book. Um, Matt Fred and I recently came out with a book called Forge. You got a copy right here. And uh, it's like a 33-day journey for guys to break free from porn. Get on our website, chastity.com. I was, I was writing it. Some guy told me, he's like, dude, you got to read this guy's book, um, Unwanted. This guy's name was Jay Stringer. He's a Protestant counselor and pastor. And so I got the book and I read it. And it's really good. He, he made a premise in there that his premise was that we're going about porn recovery and sex addiction, addiction therapy all wrong. He said, we're treating it like people's sexual desires are the problem. And he said, the desires aren't the problem. He said, the desires, the fantasies, the fetishes, the unwanted sexual behavior, all that junk is the roadmap to the person's healing. You can't throw away the map. He says, you got to look at the map. And he said, by that, you need to listen to these desires, not for the sake of indulging in them, but where are these things coming from? Because he said, look, if a guy 
it shows so much about someone, what it is that you're looking at, why you're looking at it, what type of porn guys are looking at. Because sometimes if a guy is really aroused by porn that somehow is violent or degrading against women, okay, what's under the hood there? Like what, what is causing him to, to find that delightful? You know, why is it he's sexualizing revenge or anger or insecurity? A lot of times there are roots to this stuff that aren't getting addressed. And so we might try to like trim the leaves off the weeds, but unless you get to the, actually the root system underneath this, you can just trim the leaves all day long, just as like coping mechanisms and strategies. But if you can get down to the roots of this stuff, of like, are you looking at this stuff? What are you craving? Are you craving to be looked at by this woman? You know, are you craving to, to, to use her as some outlet for your gratification? And so sometimes when you really get down to the root of this stuff, sometimes people raised in homes that were like overly rigid and they just constantly felt like some little failure or they felt shame and guilt and all this stuff. And what Stringer points out is that sometimes people will indulge in this stuff because a failure is who they think they are. And, you know, I might as well just screw up because failure is not just what I did. Failure is who I am. And he compared it to, like, there's a movie called The Shawshank Redemption where this guy's been in prison his whole life. He finally gets free. And then he commits a crime so he can get back in prison because a prisoner isn't just something that he did. Like, it's who he was. It was his identity. He didn't know how to live outside of it. And so sometimes we marinate in our own brokenness because it's all we know. And I'll, I'll just quote one thing he said in here that I loved. And this is what he says is healing uh, requires you to pivot from condemning your lack of willpower to addressing the role trauma may be pay playing in your unwanted sexual behavior. A heart with an ounce of kindness for your life story will accomplish much more for you than a mind filled to the brim with strategies to combat lust. And what I liked about that is just the idea of having some compassion on your weakness instead of just shaming yourself for your lack of self-control. And so try to get down to the roots. Like, when are you messing up? Is it when you're bored, lonely, angry, stressed, tired? And you could think, yeah, it's happening when I'm bored and when I'm angry and stressed. But yeah, yeah, that's when it's happening. Okay, well, let's look at those things. How do we relieve the, the stress? Like, you know when you go to look at porn, stress is still there when the porn's done. So that's not solving anything. You know, is it when you're lonely? Okay, well, we need some more human connection here. Can you get involved in a youth group? Can you spend more time with your siblings, your family, your friends, your church? You know, finding actual solutions to the unmet needs is like 80% of the problem. I mean, temptations are still going to remain, but they're a lot more bearable if you can find healthy ways to resolve boredom, loneliness, stress, anger, or tiredness. Because if you don't learn to cope with those in a mature way, then when you get married, you're going to be lonely sometimes in your marriage. You're going to be bored. You're going to be angry. You're going to be stressed. And if I haven't learned how to cope with those and I turn to porn and masturbation and lust and alcohol to deal with these moments of desolation, my affective maturity level remains at a level that's, that's retarded. It's held back from what I should be as a man. And so by learning how to deal with those moments of desolation, we gradually can mature into the men God's calling us to be. So for these guys, because um, I remember you in one of your testimonies, you talked about a, a buddy of yours who got married and the marriage lasted three months because he almost just thought that like the problem was going to go away once he, he met his wife. Um, I yep. do know a couple of cases now that, that that's not the case. Like it didn't just last three months. They're still married and, um, you know, with a good number of kids in between there. But the, the pornography is still there and um, it's 
it's devastating, you know. So, like, what would you say to a married guy who is who's probably listening, you know, could be listening, and he's still like battling the pornography, you know, like he's got that addiction there. Yeah, um, I mean, I I got the email today. I mean, from a wife uh, going through this stuff right now. Obviously, not not going to say the woman's name, um, but it says. Uh, I mean, this is what she wrote to me this morning. I'll, I'll pull up. I mean, just heartbroken. I mean, it's Valentine's Day. I found porn on my husband's phone. Video was playing. I'd woken up, heard something, uh, found the video on some of his searches. I felt physically sick. Um, he's asleep, and I'm awake feeling tormented by what I have found. Where do I go? Priest, counselor, can I recover from this? Or am I going to be permanently broken? Where the heck is God in all of this? And it's like, kind of man wants to do that to his wife? I mean, no man wants to do that to his wife. No man wants to be the guy who's when his three-year-old daughter walks in the room, he's got to slap the laptop shut because she can't see what I'm seeing. It's like, this isn't the husband we want to be. This is the father we want to be. And so if you're single and you're looking at porn, don't date a girl until you've killed this thing. Do not even ask her out because you need to take care of your own business before starting your own house. You cannot provide for them spiritually if you can't even guard yourself. And so first and foremost, before you're married, Deal with your business and get this stuff out of your life. Because look, you can have your pixels or you can have a person, but you may not have both. You cannot have kind of the best of both worlds. Well, I want my wife because it makes me look respectable and I can have my family I watered and physical intimacy, but then I have this outlet for porn and she's just got to deal with it or she's a prude. It's like, dude, you're not ready for marriage. The first question they ask you when you get on an altar, are you prepared to give yourselves a marriage? And if you're still hooked on porn, the answer is no. You're not prepared to do that. Now, if you're already in marriage, you need to realize you might say, oh, I've tried everything. You probably haven't. Uh, you've probably tried doing this on your own, but you have not had a lot of accountability in your life. I mean, do you really have somebody in your life on a daily basis who knows your internet searches? Well, you should. And so you should set up something like covenanteyes.com that should be on your phone, on your laptop. Your wife should be getting reports every day of everything going on, on your screen. You should have an accountability partner who's not your wife, who's a more you know seasoned Christian, Catholic, whatever, that can call you on if you're struggling in this. Because like you'll think twice before typing that in if you know that they're both going to see it. And so you, you need the accountability. You, you may need counseling. All around the world, there's groups like Sexaholics Anonymous where guys get together and they they've got the fellowship to say, look, I'm really broken in this area and I've tried for 10 years to break free and I'm just making a mess out of it. I'm destroying my wife. I'm not the father I want to be. I'm just not present spiritually or mentally because my brain is so fogged over while all this lust. And you've got to really realize your brokenness that like, you're going to kill this thing, your whole marriage, your, your children and their vocations. If you don't take on this dragon, it's almost like you got to get your princess and the queen in the castle, whatever, and you're coming in and there's a big dragon guarding the gate. Like you can't walk around the thing. You can't just kind of like poke at it and hope it's going to walk away. Uh, you've got to cut the thing's head off, walk over its corpse and enter in the kingdom. Cause if you just walk around it and go in, it's just going to follow you right in and burn the whole thing down. And that's what's happening in a lot of these guys' marriages that the wives are just emotionally destroyed by the sexual betrayal and so what's needed is accountability to find a good spiritual director, a counselor, a priest, because like you can win this thing. Not only can you, you must. I mean, failure is not an option here, but we've got to take this seriously, our vows to honor you and be faithful to you all the days of our life. And so look, Lent is upon us. And so let's do it, man. Let's, 
shut down social media for 40 days, cold turkey, no more YouTube, no more computers, unless you absolutely need it for work. Like let's, this is a perfect season to kind of detox from all that stuff, reset our brains and get the connection, fellowship, counseling and accountability we need to win this thing instead of trying to just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and win it all by ourselves. We need brotherhood. We just need the humility to receive that help. I like the the analogy, the the violence as well. It's kind of like the weed example you gave. Um, since I've been a priest, like just kind of in confession of spiritual direction, um, I was I kind of like did my debut in Ecuador, and there was a huge problem with this in Ecuador. Um, there's a there's an area there. It's called Manabi, and it's like the initiation of process for 14 year old boys. Like that's when they become men, and their dad will bring them to the the brothel. And it's like, uh, I had one guy, he was, he's actually, you know, has a very strong same sex attraction right now because of his dad bringing him there and he wasn't able to perform. Uh, I mean, he's 14 years old. He's terrified. His dad's there kind of like watching him, you know, and then he's calling him all different names because he doesn't, he doesn't know what he's doing. It it screwed him up. And he's, he's now he's with the same sex attraction and he was talking to me about it. And I was just like, when I was listening to, I just if I had seen that dad, like in that moment with this kid there, I probably would have, I don't know. It just, you do get <laughs> child abuse. You boil up in anger too. Kind of like that. To, Cause these, these, there's no, there's no male figure there. But, um, a lot of these guys, like a thing I would actually say to them is cause someone would come in there, just cry, you know, they just start crying because they can't do it anymore. Like they're saying like they're, they're compulsive. Like they wake up in the middle of the night and they grab their phone and they have to look at it, you know? And I, I got to the point where I just got, at the first I was just listening. I was really compassionate listening. We're just talking about everything. But then I got to the point where I just got so fed up with everything, basically. And I said, look, man, if you're not willing to to break this thing, like get rid of your phone uh, it, it, or else we can't really, we can't keep talking about this because it just keeps coming back. So like I got to the conclusion there were some guys there, like I would say these because you'd be from like 15 to, to 20 where um if there was no violent action taken in that moment with in their case it was the phone that was the root of it um it just it wasn't going to go away it was just like we're just i i just felt like we just were like pulling the leaves off that's what made me me think of it so like that might seem extreme people know people who do know me and they listen to me they know like i just always go back to that i I tell them to get the nokia for for a while and get off their smartphone and um they just call me too extreme and it's just not but it always goes back to like the same thing basically with them. Um, what would you say as far as like the occasion? Um, I, at this, I'm talking about like an age group that is just like it's intense, you know, and like where these guys really are, are rooting the addiction. What would you say as far as like the occasion to sin and their addiction, like an extreme cut with it? Or is that is that too much? Yeah, I mean, the young guys today are facing a battle that no one's ever faced in the history of humanity. I mean, even 30 years ago, it was so different. I mean, when I was growing up, I mean, internet was just kind of coming into being. I remember a friend telling me like, oh, you can see porn on the internet. I'm like, are you serious? You know, and I went over to his house, he's like dials up the World Wide Web, you know, and it took so long for the internet to like download this like grainy pixelated image. I mean, by the time I was finished downloading, I basically finished puberty and lost interest altogether. And now, I mean, it's so different. 5G, and you get a billion X-rated bookstores in your pocket, movie theaters, like at any moment. And if your parents aren't putting some type of filter on that and handing it to some 14-year-old boy, he's dead meat. And so you've got to realize, okay, am I ready to have this thing? Like I've got eight kids and you know, we've got, I've got a gun, 
I don't give the gun to my three-year-old and say, hey, here, be good with this nine millimeter MK25 handgun, kid. No, I mean, just stupid. I mean, it's child abuse. He's going to shoot himself or somebody else. And so yet we're giving him this stuff with like no guidance, no filters, none of that stuff. And then just saying, hey, do your best. I mean, it, it's it's nuts. And so as parents, they've got to get on board of the stuff of having accountability software, filters on this stuff. And if you don't have that stuff, your parents haven't put it on. Like I said, lose the smartphone for a while. You're not going to die like if you don't have uh, the latest, greatest iPhone 15 with every single app imaginable, you end, might end up thriving without it. Of just like, wow, I didn't realize I had this much free time. I didn't realize how much of my life is just sapped looking at this thing. I can't walk from one room of my house to the next room of my house without having to check in with some app or some messaging thing or some picture or some highlight. And to have that thing inaccessible for a while resets your brain where you're just more present to everybody, to yourself, to God, instead of just being on this incessant high from screens. In fact, there's a, um, a media company out here called Nielsen that does a lot of television ratings of like how many billion people are watching this TV show or that show. And they're able to see how much screen time people are spending per day. And the latest numbers came out. I forget exactly what it was, but it was like 10 hours and, or 11 hours and 66 minutes, whatever, per day. And I did the math, and it's actually 666 minutes per day on a screen is the average right now. 666. I mean, <laughs> if that doesn't uh, you know, send up a little warning sign, I don't know what will. Um, but yeah, s switch to a simpler phone. You can still connect with your family and friends and just let yourself detox for a little while. I mean, you'd be surprised. This actually feels kind of good. At first, you've got the cravings and things like that, but you got to realize like, wow, like why is it so hard for me to not have input? Why am I having such a hard time sitting still by myself? It's like a lot of times for Lent, I'll give up any type of media in the phone. No Christian music, no podcasting, no talk radio. And you get in the car and you got a 20-minute drive and you just you just reach for the radio. You reach for your phone. It's like, no, can't have it. And then like eight seconds later, I go, why is it quiet? And it's like, wait a minute, why am I so addicted to noise? And so if you can, this Lent, unplug and, and see what happens. I think you'll find you know, it to be very eye-opening and, and very productive as well in terms of like, wow, my, my, I feel like I'm getting my brain back yeah. in terms of my creativity, my thoughtfulness, my energy. So much of it gets sapped into that screen and it's just not necessary. Yeah, there's so much to be said for that. It's, uh, it's so true. And the, uh, the expulsive power of a new love is like what Fulton Sheen also talked about. You can't really just crowd, like kick everybody out, you know, all these addictions, all these bad vices and just leave an empty room. You have to expel addiction or any un disorderly thing going on in your heart with the expulsive power of a new love. So I think it also opens your mind up, you know, you know, like hobbies, anything really just to kind of like, just to start filling your life because it does, it's, it's taking so much out. So you mentioned, um, that's a good practicality. I like the practicals. Now we can kind of like come down a bit to practicals. Like someone listening, they'd be like, all right, the idea's there. I got it. I'm seeing it. You know, it's nice, but like, how can we incarnate this in like practicalities? You mentioned forged. Do you want to talk about that a bit? Like that's, that seems like a practical thing to like, kick this, kick this addiction. Yeah. We got one for guys, one for girls. The girls one is called uncompromising purity by Kelsey Skoke, uh, where she talks about lust, not being just a guy problem. And then how many women struggle with porn, masturbation, how to break free from it and with feminine strategies. 
And then Forge is a 33-day program where every day is like a different weapon in your arsenal for how to battle this stuff. And so it's not just tackling it from a theological perspective, but also from a spiritual one, from a physiological one, from a psychological one, from a neurological one, just a fully human approach to this thing. Because it's not just a matter of like, you need more rosaries. Yeah, we do, we do need more rosaries. And Our Lady is one of the most incredible weapons to combating lust. But we also got to look at this as a physiological thing. Like, are you getting enough sleep? Are you exercising? You know, are you taking care of your body? Like, let's get that piece in place. Okay, now how about psychologically? Are there any, you know, sexual trauma stuff that really needs to get addressed? And, you, you know, we kind of just go around the full human person of shoring up all your defenses and just, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's difficult because you got to take a deep dive. You know, where's this stuff coming from? When did I first start getting exposed to this? What was going on in my life? And like, what is the, the lie that porn keeps promising me that it's going to fulfill. And like, let's really get under, like, what is it I'm after? Like, what is it, what is it that makes that cr craving so strong in me? Like, let's get underneath that and meet those unmet needs so we can kind of starve the lust a bit. And because we don't want to be slaves to this stuff. It was St. Thomas Aquinas. He said that his definition of effeminacy, now it's not his definition of femininity or homosexuality, his definition of effeminacy is when a man refuses to let go of what is pleasurable in order to do what is arduous and good. And if that's what effeminacy is, like we have a feminized planet of guys who just don't want to let go of what's pleasurable to do what's difficult. And obviously underneath all this stuff are, are important roots you know, that, that need compassion. Like you mentioned those 14-year-olds being sent to the brothel by their dad. I mean, a friend of mine, that exact same thing happened to him in Mexico. And when he walked out of the brothel, his dad congratulated him, you know, now you're a man. It's like, really, I'm a man. I just used a woman who's practically in sex trafficking, and I've established my masculinity. Like, I feel less of a man than I ever have in my whole life. And my father's telling me that now I've arrived. And so, uh, you know, on, on twisting all of those lies, you know, from adolescence, that his same-sex attraction is, is not who he is. You know, it's a retreat mechanism for that boy of of the fear of the failure uh, in the presence of a woman and the, the fear of not living up to authentic masculinity and needing your manhood affirmed where your father failed to do it, that now you're sexualizing this deep, profound psychological need. And a lot of the times these things go get so sexualized over that those legitimate hurts and wounds and needs just get buried. I remember reading one guy, he had left that lifestyle, and he said, after years of doing all these things with other men, I realized I wasn't homosexual, I was homo-emotional. I was just longing for the affection, the attention, the approval, the admiration that I never got from my dad, and the world just told me to sexualize all those problems. And so we've gotta have the courage to take a deep dive to get down to the roots of the stuff instead of just the coping mechanisms. I like that, I'm actually very interested. We're gonna see if we can get that. Um, the one before what we would always try to promote was also the Exodus 90 just to get guys, you know, 90 days, the fraternity, um, you know, the asceticism and the prayer for me, I've seen some big changes in, in, in a lot of guys that like before, like I said, I, they, I think for them, it would have been impossible to think that they were going to beat this. And then just how like 90 days, you know, is what you need to, to rewire, reorganize your brain. It always made me think of, I don't know if you've seen the movie, um, I heard it was a crap movie. I didn't actually see it, but uh, the story of that 147, that guy who got trapped under the rock for... Yeah. Is mm -hmm. that, am I getting it right? Yeah. Is it 147? Is that what it is called? 
Yeah. Oh, wait, hundred. Was it one hundred and twenty-seven yeah, hours? Sorry. Something like you know, that. One hundred and something seven. Yeah. I huh? just the stories was stuck with me. You know, he's he's there. He's hiking by himself. Whatever. He somehow falls. Whatever. And gets this rock or pinches his arm. Uh, long story short, he can't get out. And he comes to the conclusion where he says that if I don't pull out my leather man and saw my arm off, <laughs> I'm gonna die here. And for me, it was always an image of like, you know what's killing you. You've identified the problem. You all know it. You know what's there. It's turning you into this, you know, this effeminate, basically kind of like sleazy slug guy that you don't want to be, that you can't stop. You've identified, you've seen, are you going to take that next step of, of, you know, something that might be violent, like the 90, excess 90 for a lot of guys are saying like, gosh, like snacking, sports, you know, like cold showers. There's no way. It was like, you know, pay the price because it's valuable. And then, you know, make the little sacrifice, do the violence, and you'll see like how like through the whole thing, you know, our Lord at the end of the day, you know, he's going to for you as well, because I think that's something, you know, both, both like I, you're dead, right? Like we have to take these problems, you know, like, like humanly speaking, like those things you just mentioned, I mean, it's just, it's resonating. I think it's just so important, especially in spiritual direction and confession, you know, like stop thinking that this is something spiritual, like uh, completely like God, when are you going to take this off of me? And you're not identifying and looking in on yourself. Like, what are you, you know, doing yourself? Like it's not all you and it's not all God, you know, it's like that, that balance, that, that equal balance. But it also made me think of one guy here, one case. Um, and with this, we can probably go to the questions. But um, this was bad. It wasn't as bad as the guy you said, the 12 hours. That's probably one of my worst that I've heard. So, But um, this guy, was it was getting neurotic, you know. Like the whole, like the porn was basically just, it was everything. He was compulsively like looking at it. Um, he couldn't stop. Uh, he was getting like the erectile dysfunctional thing going on there too. And it was just getting really nasty. And... Um, he tried everything like he said he tried everything everything um spiritual and you know putting down whatever physical things but he said that the game changer was was this old lady in the parish um she was going away for a while right and she needed him to start like helping her with her holy hour it's something that he was doing just as like as a gentleman thing he's a nice guy it, that was the basically how it started and he said that there was one time in this turn of adoration that he was there where um, he felt in a split second, it was very hard to describe with words because I think it was just such a powerful grace, that from the Eucharist, in a split second, everything that he had been struggling and trying to get out and trying to take care of and just, ah, you know, he couldn't, in a split second was gone. And he said he knew in that moment that it was gone. Um, I never heard anything like it, to tell you the truth, but um, I'm not saying that's going to happen to everybody, but like the power there as well from our Lord, you know, in the Eucharist, the living God, you know, he sees you, um, you're not disgusting, you know, you're not some sleazeball, you know, that's what he came for that, he came for that, you know, that misery, that's what mercy is, and then he, he goes in there, and he can take it out, so I think, you know, you take the forged, you take some kind of practical program, and then you put in our Lord, and I think that is a game plan that, that could just, you know, change everything, I think he's got that, yeah, no, I mean, there's there's special graces awaiting you in adoration of the Blessed Sacrament and in times of contemplation of the Rosary that you're not going to get elsewhere. I mean, really unique special graces that we need to avail ourselves to them by making ourselves present. And yeah, you might get there and you might not feel anything, or but it's almost like 
you know, if you if you see someone who spends their life out in the sun, granted there aren't a lot of those people perhaps in Ireland, but uh, I mean, the, the leathery skin, the tan, it's not something you get from a fake bake in a tanning salon like three days before some high school dance and you kind of glow orange. You know, no, no, the real tan, you don't get in a few minutes outside. You just get it by being in the presence of the sun. In the same respect, the graces that are made available to you when you actually make time to go into prayer, reading the scriptures, a devotion to Our Lady, the rosary, just being before the most blessed sacrament, these things are irreplaceable. And so to motivate you to get there, like you mentioned, the movie 127 Hours, that guy was sitting in that little slot cavern in Utah, and he had thought about cutting his arm off, but then he's like, eh, no, not worth it. Uh, and then he started to pass in and out of consciousness as he was getting close to death, and he kind of had a hallucination or some vision of some little like three-year-old boy walking toward him. And he realized like, wait a minute, that, that, that's, that's my child. That's my son. Now he wasn't married. I don't even know if he had a girlfriend at the time, but he knew that like that kid won't exist unless I get my tail out of this cave. Wow. And so when he comes to, that's when he takes the knife and that's when he says, okay, got to do what got to do. And he, he sever, he, you know, fashions a tourniquet out of a belt or whatever, and then he severs his skin and muscle tissue and breaks his radius and his ulna or whatever and hobbles out of that cave with his little bloody stump and then was you know, rescued by the highway patrol. And then as the credits of the movie are rolling, you see not the actor of the movie, but the actual man that this happened to sitting on a couch with his arm around his wife, his prosthetic limb in his lap, and their little boy between them, that it actually came to pass. Oh. And so he wasn't willing for the sake of his own life to do this. But when it's like, wait a minute, someone's else life is hanging in the balance of whether or not I can just do this, what needs to get done, that's what got it done. And so realize like your vocation is what hangs in the balance, whether or not not only your children exist, but your grandchildren, your descendants, your whole vocation might not even come to pass if you don't kill this thing. You could be some 40-year-old guy still looking at porn and sitting at some pub because you never knew how to ask a girl out face to face because you were so much more enamored by the lustful glances that you got through your iPhone. And then you realize, wait a minute, I got duped. <laughs> I mean, the devil promises me all this excitement and I've become completely bored and boring. And so to realize that's what's at stake. And so when you realize that those are the costs, then it's willing, that's when you start taking out the knife. That's when you start realizing, okay, I gotta do what I gotta do. And so let yourself realize the gravity of what's at stake here and do what needs to be done. Well, yeah, that's definitely a spit on the story I had. The belt buckle and the Leatherman. Yeah, the Leatherman would have been nice. In that situation. Yeah. <laughs> that's class. Um, there's a question here, Jason. We'll, uh, we're just going to pull it up in two seconds. Don't you think, this is from Carmen, uh, don't you think pornography is a double prison? As a woman, I believe pornography uses women as objects and also gives a completely distorted vision of us, which only causes pain for both men and women. Uh, I mean, w without a doubt. I mean, but for the person viewing it, I mean, let's say you've got a woman viewing porn. She, a lot of girls get into this stuff out of just curiosity. Like, what do I need to look like and who do I need to be and what do I need to do? But like... I tell the women, like, you're never created to be porn. You're created to be loved. And you can't compete with these women in porn because they can't even compete with each other. It's like, no matter how flawless the woman is, no guy is going to be faithful to her. He's on to the next clickbait, the next website, the next link. There's no fidelity because it just trains you in mental polygamy. 
And so she might be thinking, I can't live up to the expectations of these airbrushed, you know, constantly sexually available supermodels. It's like, well, look, that's not the standard that you have to live up to, because if you're going to try to live up to that, it isn't going to win. Because even if you did look exactly like them and behave just like them, you'd have much as fidelity as they receive, which is absolutely none. But then, yeah, it, it's it's a wound to the viewer, like if the guy is looking at porn, I mean, spiritually, his wound is the greatest because it's that grave sin. But then the wound caused to the partner of just the feeling of sexual betrayal, like, am I not enough, not skinny enough, not thin enough, not exciting enough, not pretty enough? Like women get significance from their relationships with their partners. And when he has to turn to another one for excitement, I remember one woman said it just cuts her deeply to the core. It's just like women struggle enough with feelings of inadequacy, like you're just not enough or you're just too much. And so when a guy is practicing this mental adultery to the woman, it's just this message that, you know what, you're right, you aren't enough. All those feelings of in insecurity, I confirm them by leaving you for someone else. And so how do you build intimacy there? You just don't. You know, there's, there's, there's this lack of trust, uh, a lack of self-giving. And what the guy can't give the girl is what St. John Paul II said was the peace of the interior gaze. And that's a phrase that he used in the Theology of the Body, talking about when a man really grows in purity of heart, he can actually look at a woman, look at his wife, even at the wife's body and its nakedness, and she doesn't feel any shame because he's not looking at her as something to be used for selfish gratification. He's looking at her as his respected and beloved companion. And a woman can tell from a, probably 100 yards away if a man is looking at her lustfully and she feels, you know, some girls might feel like, Oh, like he wants me, but she knows he doesn't want you. He just wants the satisfaction he's getting from staring at your body parts. And so women often feel more reserved, uh, you know, sometimes resentful towards these guys and a need of needing to protect themselves from their eyes. And if that's how your husband looks at you, there's just no intimacy as he grows in purity. It becomes an ability to give your wife the peace of the interior gaze. It's a real gift that a man should be able to give to his bride. And so instead of thinking of like, oh, porn is bad, but sex is dirty, it's like, no, that, that's not even remotely close to why it's wrong. You know, it's not wrong because it shows like so much of the woman. You know, John Paul would kind of allude to it, it just doesn't show enough in the sense that like the whole porn industry exists because so little is shown of the woman. I mean, if you really showed the whole woman, that, okay, yeah, here's the porn star. And uh, she was molested when she was eight by her uncle. Uh, she was date raped when she was 13. She got involved in the adult industry. She's had three abortions. And this porn scene that you're watching right now, a child will be conceived who will be aborted seven weeks from now in an abortion clinic, torn limb from limb. And she's gonna go home and get more whiskey and more rum to deal with her self you know, hatred that she has from being in this industry. Now, enjoy the porn film. Whoa, it's like, if you show me that much of the woman, I can't take any pleasure in her degradation. So let's snip out all those elements and just show me the steamiest scenes from the porn video, and then we'll call it harmless adult entertainment. Well, how about we reveal the whole woman in her humanity and then see how arousing it is for her to be degrading. When, it, when the full truth is shown, it's like the name of our podcast, Lust is Boring, becomes the reality. Yeah, wow. Uh, thanks, Carmen, and thanks for that answer, Jason. Uh, this is from Dearmid. Um, how much is grace versus pure mental willpower? Is that, did I get that right? Yeah, I mean, I think it's two sides of the same coin. 
you know, the, the scriptures promise us God will fulfill the, the good work he began in us, but grace builds on nature. And so he'll not do this without our cooperation. And, you know, so throughout the day, I remember I had a priest back in San Diego who used to tell me that the Holy Spirit talks to you a hundred times a day. And so the question remaining is, okay, well, how much am I even listening? And a, a lot of these are just small little promptings. Like, you don't need to look at that. You know, you, you need to do this. You need to forgive that person. Try to do this. And you could pray right now, like a hundred times a day. And if I think if we get in the habit of saying yes to those little promptings, um, the big yeses, the big temptations, the big struggles, those are going to be a lot more natural to be able to say yes to. And so, you know, it's difficult to say, well, it's 10% this and 20% that and 40, 50, 50. It's, it's not either or, it's both and. And we just have to cooperate with the grace because if we make ourselves available to him in prayer and the sacraments, he's going to do his part. He absolutely will. And when, when you're falling on your face, it's like, okay, don't lose your peace. Just get on up and keep trying. This is not a sprint to the finish line. Some people have those St. Paul experiences where it's a bolt of lightning and it's all gone, but don't expect that. Um, that hasn't been my situation. I'm still waiting 45 years now for my bolt of lightning and it doesn't appear to be coming. And so it's a, a daily grind and just be okay with that. Be like, okay, you know, I'm in a battle here. Um, it's not going to be won overnight, but I know who's going to win in the end. And I have to put my trust in him instead of in myself. Praise God. Yeah, that's it. Thanks, Jeremy. Um, this is from Noble Thomas. Uh, hi, Jason. I'm a big fan, by the way. Would you have any advice on how to motivate guys to start fighting the addiction, especially if they think it's a normal thing to do? Well, one, I remember as part of our uh, Forge program, uh, there was a guy who did one of the videos for us because with the book, you get 33 days of free videos emailed to you um, named Matt O'Hara, and he runs a thing called Fight Club Catholic. And so if you just Google Fight Club Catholic, you can find it. And it's just a brotherhood of guys who are just kind of banding together to meet once a week or whatever and say, hey, let, let's, let's, try to, let's try to get over this thing. Let's try to you know, have this accountability. It sounds like the guy early in the email, uh, a thing that'd be really helpful for him with the guys. But don't be afraid to talk about this with your lads of just like, hey, man, I keep messing up with this. Any guys in with me? I'm just trying to break free from this stuff. Like, and, and just keep talking about it. They start degrading women in conversation. Start lifting up the women. Start changing the conversation. Because I'll bet you there's some low-hanging fruit around you, meaning some guys who are ripe for this message. Because porn just leaves you just bloated and hungry. Like, it's just like I binge myself, and I feel like I'm starving. And so you're, you have a lot of dissatisfied guys, but just they've been so marinated in this secularized culture where it's just seems like harmless adult entertainment that to have someone actually have the courage to speak out of like, I don't know about you guys, but like I've been looking at a lot of this junk and it just leaves me feeling like just empty afterwards. Like I want to love, I want to be able to be free to fall in love with the woman for all the right reasons. And so who's in with me? And so it, usually it just takes a couple guys to step up just one and you'll get a couple. And maybe if you've got 10 lads and only two want to join, fine, just start there. And you never know how that thing is going to grow. Um, all your answerable is to yourself. Um, but I would say, yeah, just just don't be out, don't be shy about this. You know, as much as guys are so in the open about joking about perverted jokes and scenes and sharing pictures, be just as outspoken and wanting to overcome this thing. And and then they'll see, like your example of a man who's truly free from this stuff. It's really admirable. I mean, it's it it's you know, as your name, noble. Uh, and, and guys will be drawn to that. They will come to you because they'll see in you 
a joy and a, and a freedom and an availability that just doesn't exist when a guy becomes a slave to his phone. That's awesome. Thanks for that, Noble. Um, this is, yeah, so we'll just, uh, we'll take it off. Of, this will be the last one here. Um, it says, uh, th this is from Connor, I think. Thanks for your insights, Jason. Would you talk more about digging up the roots of past porn addiction and sexual promiscuity? Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to, I'm just going to read a couple bullet points out of here on that. And it's just, just questions to really just sit still and ask yourself like, uh, and, and you can't ask these and just like, uh, and think the three seconds and go on. You got to kind of chew on them. So maybe you remember one or two, take them to prayer later on and see what comes up. Uh, what is it that I crave? Where's this coming from? Why do I desire this? What is driving me? What is behind it? When did I begin seeking this out and what was happening in my life at that time? What unmet need within me uh, does it seem to satisfy or temporarily soothe? Am I drawn to this through my insecurity because of no risk of rejection is involved? When I indulge, am I focusing on getting something from the person or doing something to them? What could this mean? Am I sexualizing my anger, eroticizing revenge, or resenting the object of my lust? Am I sexualizing my longing for acceptance, admiration, and affection? Am I escaping from something? What do my desires and behaviors reveal about who I think I am? And so these are obviously deep questions and re require a lot of introspection. But when you start going there, don't just try to think it through. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you what's going on here. Uh, pray for divine assistance and divine light. Like, what's at the root of this stuff? Because Jay Stringer, that Protestant guy, talks about, like, we can't tell these people they can't think about this stuff. We have to teach them how to think about it. Not for the sake, like I said, of just indulging in fantasy, but it's like, what what's going on here? Like, why is this craving so strong? When is it coming up? You know, what, what is behind this? So, so you can address that deeper unmet need because treating it like, well, just lust is the problem. It's just a lust thing. Women are beautiful, and so I want to lust after them. There's more going on. Yep, that's a piece of it, obviously, because the woman's the most beautiful thing God created. But we need to know not only where is this coming from, but what do I do with it when these desires arise? If I don't have a strategy and they come up, it's like, well, psh, what's my strategy? Well, just give into it, and then the desires will go away. But that's not a strategy. That's just like a dead fish floating down a river. Um, how do we go upstream? So one of the strategies that we kind of recommend is when you get a temptation, um, and it doesn't matter if you're like at church and some you know image pops into your mind, or whether you're driving down the street and see some pornographic billboard, okay, just stop. Or even if you're at the gym and you see some beautiful woman not wearing a lot of clothes, okay, stop. And instead of having this like knee-jerk reaction of lust or of like, oh, it, sex is bad, just stop. And just first, you could trace a little sign of the cross on your forehead, just something inconspicuous like that, and remember the four parts of the cross. The first part is up, so you can think gratitude. Thank you, God, for making her so beautiful. And so first, it's gratitude. There's something good here. She has a sexual value that's great. Her personal value is greater than her sexual value, but you can still affirm the beauty of her body. So thank you, God, for making her beautiful. So first is gratitude. Second part of the cross is down. Think of contrition. God, I'm sorry for the times I've failed to look rightly at your daughters. Please create in me a clean heart. And so you're going from gratitude to contrition, 
And the next part of the crossover here. So think of that as like now you're going over to the woman. Look at her hand. Does she have a wedding ring? If she does, pray for her and her husband. If she doesn't have a ring, pray for her future vocation. Uh, and that what you're doing here is you're transforming temptation with intercession. It's like Tai Chi. It's a form of martial art where you use your aggressor's energy against them and you kind of turn it on them. So the devil's coming with temptation and you're transforming that now into intercession. You're responding to beauty with love, which was God's original design, instead of responding to beauty with lust. And so you got gratitude, contrition, intercession, and then the last part is, um, is adoration. Where did her beauty come from? Who invented her body? Who created her body? God. Yet it doesn't matter how much you indulge in the beauty of the human form, it leaves you with a restless craving because she's simply a finite reflection of the infinite beauty and love that awaits you in heaven with a beatific vision. And so where did her beauty come from? It came from God. Lead your heart into adoration to prayer. And so these four parts of prayer are the four kinds of prayer listed in the catechism of the Catholic Church. And so if you do this little, little you know, strategy— gratitude, contrition, intercession, adoration, or just do one or two of those things, you'll find something to do with your temptations instead of just being taken away by them. Praise God. Jason, thank you so much. Um, we're going to put uh, the links in the description as well to the Chastity Project and chastity.com. Uh, the Lust is Boring podcast is also very good. Um, it's It's been great. Like I appreciate you coming on. Um, you're forged is did you say that was a 33 day thing yeah it's 33 days oh, so perfect. i really recommend exodus 90 as you had mentioned yeah. that's fantastic as well um ours is not in any way shape or form competition to exodus 90 it's all just teamwork, all teamwork yeah. um different strategies to help you along yeah well i was just thinking because like i hadn't actually to tell you the truth forge i hadn't i hadn't heard about that but i'm definitely going to start looking into that and giving that to like the guys because these resources are so good you guys have loads of resources so praise god whoever's listening to this Check out all those resources, guys, because this year is the year. It's the year of St. Joseph. It's going to happen. Um, there's. It's also today is the beginning of the, the 33-day consecration to St. Joseph of Don Calloway, and it ends on the solemnity. So whether it's taking Forged, maybe you can take Forged and the consecration and do it with St. Joseph because um, it's going to happen. This is the year. It's. I'm, I'm guaranteeing you guys, Like if if you just start getting serious about it and then you you know, he, he's waiting for you. Like he's been waiting for you for a while. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Like it's, it's very hopeful. Like, so praise God for that. And, um, Jason, we're going to be praying for you and your family. Um, and, uh, just, you have to keep this up. This is so important. It's the, uh, it's a time for it. So, and I love your, yeah. I love your devotion to John Paul II as well. The, his, the five loves that book you had is one of our, uh, our top, our top five books actually that we have here in the community that we read. So it's, um, it's great and it's, it's done a lot of good. So, Praise God for that. And um, so thanks, guys, for, for watching. And um, also take advantage to pray for Jason. Not only take advantage of his resources, but, you know, keep him and his family in the prayers because, you know, he's doing a lot of good. But that also comes with a lot of attack, you know. So we'll pray, pray for Jason and his wife and all of his kids. Um, and I'll leave you guys all with the blessing. And please, God, we'll be back on next week, next Monday, for Fireside and Fathers. We're going to be talking about the penal laws and this current lockdown in Ireland, the very uncanny um, similarities between the penal laws and the lockdown that we're living now. That's going to be with Damian Richardson. So in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. The Lord be with you.
And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks, guys. God bless. See you next Monday.